2: Hello and welcome to another Witch Please Patreon special bonus. Exclusive. Exclusive interview. Experience. We have, yes! Oh yeah, you know, you know. I'm a backer. uh, (laughs) I hear the episodes. (laughs) Now you get to see how the sausage is made. I'm Hannah. I'm Marcel. And we have a very special guest today. Celebrated graphic novelist, Maya Kobabe. Welcome, Maya.
1: Hello. Welcome, Maya. Thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you so much for inviting me. I have been listening to Witch Please since early 2016, and I'm pretty jazzed to be talking to both of you today.
1: You are one of the original listeners. Mm-hmm. And in that time, you have become a celebrated graphic novelist.
2: Yeah. Yes. Listen, you've got a Wikipedia page. I
1: do have a Wikipedia page. (laughs) So how much of your success do you think has come from listening to Witch Please? (laughs) Honestly, a pretty big amount. Maybe like 25 (laughs) percent? Get out of here. (laughs) No,
2: that is not bad. That is not bad. Um, (laughs) But we did. I We did encounter you first as an artist, I think. You made, you made,
3: like, I think you drew us at some point. Yeah, yes. I, so I am, yes, a full-time comics author and illustrator. I work from home. I have since 2017. I spend most of my days drawing and listening to podcasts, honestly, is what I do pretty much all day. And so when I find a good podcast that can get me through the day, this is why I jokingly said 25%, but like literally podcasts are one of the things (laughs) that fuels my career because Mm -hmm. if I'm listening to a good podcast and I'm drawing, time passes happily and I produce work and I enjoy myself and life is good. Um, And so being an artist and a lover of podcasts, I frequently will draw fan art of podcasts or their show or the hosts, both as a way to give back and be like, I loved your art or your your content. Here's some of mine. And also to be like, I want to be friends. Little like think something Mm -hmm. out into the internet. Yeah.
1: Oh, Maya, can we be friends?
3: I should hope so. We are all Instagram mutuals and have been for years. So I should hope that we are friends.
1: I know, but whenever somebody who's like professional and successful requests to follow me on Instagram, I'm always like, they don't mean it. Oh, I meant it. Yeah.
3: I'm deeply invested (laughs) in your cats and your children and your makeup and your selfies. Yes.
1: (laughs) Have a little weep. Yeah. Marcel's having a rough week. So the more you can praise her, the better. I'm having a rough couple of months. It's going to be a few more. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll talk about it during which please tell me. Love that.
2: Yeah, we will. So, Maya, I mean, I want to, I really, really want to talk about genderqueer, but maybe since we're on the topic of fandom, we can start a little bit with your fandom art, because you do make a lot of zines about your fandom and your relationship to different
3: fan properties. I do, yes. I think I've always been a person who's very, who gets very into things, specifically stories, and Harry Potter, for so many, like so many people, is the big cultural Moment of my youth. I am of that generation that was the exact same age as Harry, and when every book came out, i br- um. There's an anecdote that I tell in Gender Queer that I am dyslexic. I took a- it was very late learning to read, and what really finally pushed me over the edge, aside from several years of remedial reading classes, was that my mom was reading the second Harry Potter book chapter by chapter to me and my sibling at night, and that was simply mm. too slow. I could not wait a whole day in between chapters, and <laughs> at eleven, I took. The book and a flashlight into my bed and said to myself, I will not sleep until I learn to read. And by the morning, I was a reader. And this is this sort of like magical alchemy moment of my childhood where, you know, it's years of preparation, finally reaching the right age, brain development, etc. But also this one book and the story that I was so passionate about, like tipped me over from being illiterate to being literate by the morning. And then from then on, I became a very voracious reader. And to this day, I maintain a habit of reading a 100 books a year, which I track on Goodreads. You read
2: so much because I am also <laughs> a Patreon supporter for Maya's work. And one of the things that you share is like what I read this
3: month. Yeah. And every time... Yeah, I do a monthly wrap-up. you send out the list of everything you read this month. I'm like, I read a quarter of one book. How? Okay, I don't have a real job. That helps a lot. Whoa. Um,
2: Artists everywhere
3: right now are like, hey, (laughs) I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No,
2: artists everywhere right now are like,
3: yeah, Yeah. hey. I do a lot of audiobooks. I would say, um, same. Same. Like yeah. half of all the books that I read are audiobooks, again, that I listen to while I am drawing, while I am working, while I'm cooking, while I'm washing the dishes, while I'm driving. While I really I patiently, patiently lay out great. page by page of your are yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. on the floor. Yeah, I, I weave audiobooks and podcasts heavily through my life. I also read a lot of comic books. I read a lot of middle grade because mm-hmm. I'm looking to be publishing in the middle grade market, mm-hmm. so I'm trying to keep up. So I read a lot of short books. That also helps.
1: Okay, Maya, I have a question for you. And if you don't want to answer this, that's totally okay. We can just blow right by it. But considering that Harry Potter was so formative to your relationship to reading, would you be interested in talking a little bit about like J.K. Rowling's transphobia and how that's impacted your relationship to the series? 100%. 100%. I was assuming
3: we would get into that. So uh, for any listener who is not aware or didn't pick up I saw my book title, I am trans and non-binary. I use the pronouns air. And yes, I had such a strong relationship to Harry Potter in my youth. And it's been really tough being an adult trans Harry Potter fan. Your readership, your listenership will be familiar with this. 100%. Um, <laughs> yes. In 2019, after a couple of the first instances of J.K.R. liking transphobic tweets, and mm-hmm. also meditating on the magic in North America and many topics that you mm. had talked about in the original, uh, which please run. I wrote a 20 page zine called Harry Potter and the Problematic Author. Mm-hmm. And I posted it on Instagram. And that same month of October 2019, they published it. I was actually the first ever guest on the Gaily Prophet podcast. <gasps> so I'm also mutuals oh with no! our friends, Lark and Jesse. <laughs> um, I guested on, um, book. Three chapter one, I will post. Um, So, if people want to listen to way more Mm -hmm. of me, you can find it there. And that was kind of the beginning of me being like, I don't know, this author that I love, my childhood hero, I'm really wrestling with how her politics seem to be really diverging from mine. And then I published that. And then in like December is when she like fully came out as a turf. And because my zine was already out, a lot of people were sharing it when she was like, wrote her transphobic screed. And so In December, I was actually like Vanity Fair reached out to me and I was quoted in a Vanity Fair article. Um, It's titled J.K. Rowling's tweets shows the divide between the writer and the phenomenon that she's created. And then the next summer in 2020, when she's really just the leash is off. Um, I was also part of a video piece put together by the Washington Post, uh, which was called Queer Harry Potter Fans Respond to J.K. Rowling's Comments on Transgender Women. Lark and Jesse of Gaily Prophet were in there. Um several there was like other queer and trans zine makers and YouTubers, and then also the writer activist Jacob Tobia. So I was part of that as well. So I have I feel like I have spoken a lot about this, but it was like a slow process of letting go. I mean, I mm-hmm. I still have one set of the Harry Potter books, but I got rid of my second set. Mm-hmm. I used to have, I counted at one point, there were 15 pieces of Harry Potter fan art like up in my bedroom. I've mm. taken down all but one, which was signed by the illustrator. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this is more about the illustrator than the author. And I no longer identify with any Hogwarts house. I don't wear Harry Potter pins. I had like 10 Harry Potter t-shirts. I got rid of all of them. I'm like, I can't move through the world advertising myself as a fan of this series because Mm -hmm. I know for a fact it will make trans and non-binary people feel unsafe. Right? Because it makes me feel unsafe when I see other people walking around with Harry Potter merch. Mm -hmm. I'm just like, I need to know if you have that. If you are a critical and engaged listener, like if you if you have witch please merch, then I'm like, okay, we're on the same page. <laughs> if you're repping like the Gaily Prophet or like even like Harry, the Harry and the Potters, like the mm-hmm, Wizard mm-hmm. Band, like some sort of fan made sort of secondary content, but like I feel like unironically wearing Harry Potter merch in 2020 yes. is shows that you are either completely ignorant or actively a turf. Interesting.
1: Yeah. 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 What was your experience like in those like? media responses did you feel like they were like like um thoughtfully and responsibly done like did you feel good about your experience with Vanity Fair and the Washington Post or did it feel sort of like they I don't know we're just doing a news bite I don't know yeah I'm so, I'm so curious I felt pretty good about them I mean I definitely felt like JKR is a very
3: famous person mm-hmm. and they mm-hmm. and they know that it'll get clicks so there was a certain sense of like they are capitalizing on something that is very current and almost like viral in this moment Mm -hmm. but I also felt specifically the fact that the Washington Post reached out to like so many different people I think there were like seven or eight of us Mm -hmm. in the video a variety of different voices a variety of different backgrounds and it was edited together really nicely I did feel like the end result was something that I think I and all of the other people who participated could really be proud of even Mm. if it was like Oh yeah, this is Wapo trying to get clicks or whatever.
1: Right, right. Okay, okay. That's heartening in a way. So was this this sort of perhaps somewhat
2: unexpected being thrown into the limelight of representing like queer and trans Harry Potter fans? Trans Harry Potter fans. Yeah. (laughs) Do you think in any way that prepared you for the public response to
3: genderqueer? Oh, my God. That is such an amazing question that I actually wouldn't have thought about until I was actually going back and re- remembering the dates and titles of these articles before our conversation. And I was like, oh, huh. I had forgot that I did a, like, a mini round of interviews before this. So for anyone who's unfamiliar, my book, Gender Queer Memoir, which is a graphic novel, it came out in May of 2019, was yeah. the and most- And Maya might not say this, but it rules. Oh, thank you. It's I appreciate really, that. It's really, really beautiful. I really, really love it. I almost quoted you in it. That was one of the pages that sadly ended up on the cutting room floor uh, during drafts. But
2: listen, I understand it. That's how editing works. (laughs) But you are in
3: my book. so I know. know. And I haven't read it yet, but I have it on pre-order and I'm so excited. Anyway, Genderqueer was the number one most banned and challenged book in America in 2021. And at the rate we're going, it is likely to be the most banned and challenged book of 2022 as well. There's been so much kerfuffle. I don't know. I don't, actually don't know what percentage of your listenership is Canadian, but if you're following American news, we are having a big amount of <sighs> debates and arguments about literally any inclusion of trans and non-binary and queer voices in the public sphere, mm-hmm. um, from mm-hmm. queer history being on the curriculum in schools to queer books being you know available in school libraries to queer athletes being able to participate on sports teams mm-hmm. to uh, queer people of all ages being able to receive healthcare. It's huge right now and it's Mm -hmm. scary and it's really frustrating and it feels like an extremely organized effort to erase trans and non-binary people from the public sphere. My book happened to have won a couple of awards in 2020 from the American Library Association and because of that many librarians purchased it and so it was in many libraries and when Mm -hmm. a couple of sort of big profile um, censorship cases happened it spawned a ton of copycat censorship cases a bunch of other places. Um, which is how, and it just—it was really just like a like a viral thing. And unfortunately, or fortunately, I don't know. It just—it happened to fall right around the U.S. midterm elections mm. of last year too, mm. and a couple of politicians made it a real talking point. And then I got sued by a congressional candidate from the state of Virginia. Oh, oh I didn't hear about
2: that. Oh, no. for yeah, being can, too
3: gay. I I won't go into it too much, but basically, a a congressional candidate who ended up losing his race. Thank God. Um, sued a Barnes & Noble for carrying both genderqueer and a Sarah J. Mass novel, the second book of the alcatar series, A Court of Mist and Fury, saying that they were obscene and should not be available to minors. What fucking year is it? Is yeah, it- <laughs> under a law that had been written in like 1970 during uh-huh. that wave of sort of uh, book censorship. I-, I was relatively sure this entire lawsuit was very much a publicity stunt to try to gain attention to his uh, political campaign. But um, very happily, on August 30th, a judge um, tossed out the case on due process issues and saying actually that the law um, was somewhat unconstitutional and was violating the First Amendment freedom of speech rights. Well, great. So a happy a happy result. But it was a summer mm-hmm. of having yeah. a lawsuit hanging over my oh. publisher's head. So it's been wild and. Yeah, I maybe it's possible that, yeah, doing these earlier, sort of more Harry Potter related, but still on the topics of like trans people's voices in media interviews did kind of prepare me a little bit for the many interviews that I have done yeah. because of the genderqueer book challenges, book bans, lawsuits, media kerfuffle, et cetera.
1: Yeah. How has your publisher been? Have like, like, like so, I started, Have you been I well did this, I did this. I did this during our recording earlier. But like, good publisher, medium publisher, medium publisher <laughs> bad, bad publisher, publisher. How how would you say that's gone?
3: They've been pretty good. It's a relatively small company, so which was they were not super prepared to handle this. Um, but my agent has been wonderful, and then the publicist that I worked with for most of the past year was absolutely wonderful, and then. A great organization called the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, which was literally created mm-hmm. to help cartoonists face censorship, actually mm-hmm. did pay for all of the lawyers representing Wonderful. my in the case. So good. I feel very supported. I have had a lot of a lot of backup and a lot of support during all of this. Absolutely <laughs> bizarre. The weirdest last 12 months of my entire life to date. It
2: can't yeah. be. I mean, you just don't put out a book thinking probably a con- congressional candidate will sue me for this.
3: Definitely not, especially a book that has been out for two and a half years. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty much like it's had its media cycle. I toured. Mm-hmm. It had mm-hmm. all its initial press. It was a mid book from a new, new debut author, from a yep. medium-sized publisher. Mm-hmm. People were reading it. It was doing well, but it was not making national headlines.
2: No, and it's also not a, like, having read it, it's not the kind of book i would expect to get taken up in this way because it's not and this is not saying anything against militant books but it's not militant no like it's it's a a relatively
3: mm -hmm, mm -hmm. gentle it's memoir yeah it's it's one person's story of growing up coming out You know, wrestling with gender and sexuality, and finding language for non-binary identity, and then coming out to family, friends, community, workplace, etc. And I have had a pretty easy go of it in life. I am a uh, middle-class, mid-thirties white person who still lives with their parents, rent-free. I grew up in the liberal bubble of the Bay Area. I, at no point, was ever worried that like coming out would threaten my my safety, my housing, my friendships, my relationships to family, my abilities to get a job. And I mean, that's part of why I wrote the book is because I was like, I have so much privilege, I should use it for something. And yeah, I I in fact worried that the book might be boring, because all of the conflict in it is internal. I have faced a little external conflict with the world. I thought, is anyone who's never met me going to find this interesting? But they have. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I guess for good reasons and bad reasons. Indeed. Indeed. It does it does seem like its own kind of um like sinister black swan effect. Do you know this phrase? It's it's we use it in publishing to talk about like totally unpredictable outcomes with books. So like Harry Mm -hmm. Potter itself is frequently referred to as a black swan event because it's an absolutely non produce non-reproducible phenomenon. Yeah, like, none of us can put our finger on what made it the series that it was. Like, nobody, yeah. because if any of us could say, then somebody could reproduce it. And it has not proven to be reproducible. And it's not non-reproducible
3: because the author's a genius. No, it, that is not it. If anything, I think it's more where it came out in relation to the development of the internet. Oh, I think it's absolutely. a bigger factor. It's all of this stuff, right? And who happened to pick it up at the moment?
2: I mean, Fifty Shades of Grey is another example. Yes, mm-hmm. you know, it's not that lots of people don't don't enjoy reading smutty fan fiction. It's like, well, why did this take off? Well, no, why this it was, and not another?
3: Yeah, you know, it was the it particular
2: all. moment. It was the person who got their hands on it. It's all of these things, and it, it does seem like like the um, the negative response to gender queer has been its own kind of black swan event like it just the book was in the wrong place at the wrong time yeah but i also hope maybe that means it has gotten into more hands Mm -hmm. of people who want it
3: yeah definitely not every book that is banned and challenged sees a sales bump but Mm -hmm. mine has and i am grateful for that and i do think that um, yeah, a lot of people have heard about it who wouldn't have otherwise, and I've had many people like say, you know, send a, a, a message online or whatever and say, "Oh, I saw this book was being challenged, so I decided to read it, and I really enjoyed it." Like that kind of thing. So that's that's exciting, and I am grateful for that. But actually, you mentioning uh, Fifty Shades of Grey and like fan fiction does remember that I didn't fully answer your question at the beginning, which is like that I do amidst all of this of my sort of memoir work and then I guess media work. I'm also a big fan, and Mm -hmm. I'm very into a lot of stuff, and (laughs) I have pretty much entirely moved out of the Harry Potter fandom sphere, aside from listening to podcasts. Mm -hmm. But now my new thing is K-pop. I'm so into K-pop. And I do, and I always have found that drawing fan art and writing fan fiction are two ways to get me out of creative slumps that work better Mm -hmm. than almost anything else. Specifically if I'm in a drawing slump and I'm feeling very unmotivated and I don't know what to work on drawing fan art of a favorite character or favorite story is almost always what gets me back to be like excited to make things and that is one of the reasons why I find like fan stuff just so delightful and joyful and I've also like made a lot of friends through fandom who I've maintained Uh, even past our maybe falling out of love of a specific media property Mm -hmm. but I have found yeah fandom space very inspiring very delightful very joyful um and aside from the Zina, I already mentioned that Harry Potter and the problematic author, I also contributed a short story to a collection called Transaffirming Magical Care, which came out in 2020, which was edited by another non-binary cartoonist, um, Alex L. Coombs. And it's a whole collection of specifically trans and non-binary related Harry Potter content. I believe it is still available as a digital zine. I think the print run is sold out, but we sold it to raise money for the UK charity Gendered Intelligence in the summer of 2020 as well. So like that was another like fun thing to be able to be like, the story I drew was called Tonks's Tale and it's about Tonks (gasps) as an explicitly non-binary character. And in my story, when Tonks arrives at the Hogwarts dorms, a third door opens for them that is a non-binary dorm.
1: I remember this.
3: It's like, I still do really believe in the power of fans to rewrite and retool and rework stories to make places for themselves or any sort of marginalized group that were not originally included. Mm -hmm. And I do think that there's a lot of value in that.
1: Mm -hmm. Oh, my gosh. That is beautifully
2: said. So beautifully said. And I think maybe a beautiful note on which to end this conversation, which has been such a joy. So... Maya, you're so much fun to talk to. I feel like you did research and took notes, which I'm always <laughs> impressed by. Because I've never taken a note in my life. And I certainly don't know how research looks, works. I bet you have. I bet you mm. have. And all those There's degrees? no proof. No? No? Hard to proof. Okay, all Hard right. to prove. Right. <laughs> um, thank you, Maya. Thank yeah. you to all of our Patreon supporters. We're so um, lucky. We're so <laughs> lucky. You're so kind. Thank you for being yeah. patient with us in
3: this, oh, the summer yeah. of our discontent. Oh, oh, <laughs> this was, no, this was an absolute delight. I was so excited to be invited. Like I said, I've been a listener for many, many years this is one of my all time favorite podcasts. I never unsubscribed during the long hiatus. I never stopped following the Twitter. Literally, when the reboot was announced, I texted multiple people like this is the best. This has made my <laughs> week. This is the best thing. <laughs> this is the best news I've had in a while. And I genuinely believe that I learned as much from listening to Witch Please and Her Feminist Agenda as I did in my entire master's degree program. Specifically, just like, it has really impacted my thinking so much as like topics, just like all of these academic topics that I didn't hit because I have two art degrees, um, <laughs> and specifically like a feminist lens on literary criticism that has just been really valuable and joyful in my life. So thank you, thank you for your work, it means a lot. <laughs> thank You so much. <laughs>
1: I have made Marcel cry. You made Marcel cry. I have won
3: much. the interview. <laughs> <laughs>
1: With the interview. No, that's the real win is when you make <laughs> Hannah cry because she's oh, not as true.
2: fragile. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's hard. I too I'm am harder. not a.
3: I am not a crier. So I'm a harder yeah. nut to crack.
2: <laughs> oh my god You know, you know who's really good at making me cry? Is it me? This
3: asshole right over here. Yeah, it's you. Yeah? It's, it's it you.
2: Ooh. It's you. Um. Bye, listeners. Bye.
3: Bye. Take care.